You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's show. For today's show, we have two guests, the founders of Makeway, Abby Albino and Shelby Weaver. Both come from different walks of life, but have come together with the same goal and passion in mind, to promote a stronger presence for women and members of the LGBTQ plus community in the world of sneakers and streetwear. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. So Abby, you come from Mississauga, Ontario, and have a background of working in public relations at both the Fairmont and Rip Zone. You went to Ryerson, you worked in, as a communication manager for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and you currently sit as co-founder and head of content and community relations at Rise Tribe and director of brands and partnerships with Basketball Canada. So maybe we can start with you. What gravitated you to sports and athletics in general? And what was your life like growing up? Well, some of the audience won't know this because they can't see me, but I am a Filipino Canadian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being a Filipino Canadian, basketball is quite literally a religion for us. Playing basketball, going to basketball games, watching basketball on television is a big part of my upbringing. And having being brought up as you know one of few girls in my very large Filipino family, <laughs> basketball was something that we really came together around. And that's kind of where my love for sports started. I remember going to my grandparents, my Lola and Lolo's house in Scarborough with all my cousins, mostly boys, watching NBA, watching MLB, watching all sorts of sports and really just loving kind of that atmosphere that sports created for our family as well. When you have you know members of your family that maybe don't speak the best English, you can always connect over sport because it's the one language is sport itself. Ah, interesting. And so did you play sports growing up too? I did. I played basketball. Mm. I will be the first one to say that I was never going to go professional, <laughs> but I did have lofty goals of working or, you know, being around the NBA or WNBA as I got older, which, you know, spoiler alert, I was able to do that, which I'm very thankful for. So didn't get to play professionally, but at least my career led me to the professional world of basketball. Gotcha. And Shelby, you're from Halifax, Nova Scotia. You went to St. Francis Xavier. You've worked in promotions, had multiple roles at Maple Leaf Entertainment and Sports, including executive assistant to the chief commercial officer. And you currently are the director of basketball operations and culture for the Toronto Raptors. So what led you to sports and athletics? My journey through sport was a lot more rooted in playing. I grew up playing basketball. That was sort of my sport of choice all through elementary school, junior high, high school, college. My sort of love for playing and love for just being around basketball culture has sort of driven most of my career decisions, most of our entrepreneurial decisions. Why we both love sneakers is really rooted in basketball first and then realizing that you know, sneakers can 
take you way outside of sport. You know, the idea that sneakers can kind of be an everyday uniform, not just an on-court uniform is sort of where Abby and I both grew our love for sneakers. So sports really informed like everything that I've done in my life. And when I stopped playing and my career ended a little sooner than I wanted to just due to some medical issues, I realized that I didn't want to be out of the sport completely. And that's kind of what drove me to pursue my career in sports and ultimately what's driven me to the role that I'm in today. I, I like the ups and downs of sport. I like the stakes. I like winning and losing. I don't really want to work in an environment where everything's the same nine to five every day. I like that, you know, you get to kind of ride the waves and the challenge of working through losses and staying level through wins is fun to me. And that's ultimately why I've decided to continue with sport kind of for most of my career. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The winning and losing part, sometimes for people that is an easy feeling, but that's interesting that you thrive on that and that you are self-aware that you thrive on that. And so mm-hmm. how did the two of you meet very different parts of the country that you were raised in? So how did you two meet? We actually met working for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So I was working on the business side at the time. And so was Abby working in PR and we started, we worked together on a couple of different projects and we just became friends. I think working in sports, you spend more time with your colleagues than you do with your family and your spouse and your friends. And so Abby and I started spending a lot of time together at work and that just kind of bled over into our personal life. And we never separated after that. <laughs> we, we could never get rid of each other, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and so how was the idea of Makeaway born? What were you two seeing in your worlds that made you think that there is a gap and that you guys could fill it? So I can kind of give my recount of the process because I was, I say that I was forced into it. Um, (laughs) So Shelby is also a owner of a sneaker customization studio called Mac house, which is just across the street or just across the way from make way. And it's the first of its kind in, in the world. So kudos to her for, getting into the sneaker industry in that regard. At the time, I was working for a marketing agency in community marketing with Nike Toronto as my biggest client. So I had a real understanding of the behind the scenes view of sneaker industry. Shelby had a business in the sneaker industry. And she really, she came to me one day and she's like, you know what they don't have? And I said, what? She goes, a sneaker boutique for women. And I go, you're absolutely right. That doesn't exist in Canada. And I never thought about it. Even someone who had worked in the industry, I never thought about that as being an actual gap. But as we, as she started to build out the the business, I was consulting on a bunch of, you know, the aspects and elements of what she wanted Makeway to become. And eventually one day she was like, well, you might as well just be an owner. And I never say no to Shelby because I've never said no to her and my life has gone pretty well so far. So I say that she forced me into it, but I was, it was a voluntary forcing. I I quite enjoy my role within the company and it's been such a great journey so far. Yeah. I think Abby and I are, are similar in a lot of ways, but also different in a lot of ways, which is like, I'm very logistics, operations, functionality, process. I'm super organized. I'm an executioner of sorts. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a, a negative connotation, but I, I, I see right. myself as somebody who can take things from start to finish and like plow through every obstacle. And Abby is that in a lot of ways, but she also has the experience of ideas and brand and sort of like this big, big picture dreaming of 
what things can be and how they connect with community. And it's, it's, you can see that through all the stages of her career and what she's built with rise tribe. And she's helped me kind of exercise that muscle a lot more. Abby's the kind of person that throws out the the big idea. And I'm like, okay, but like, how much does it cost? And she's like, whatever, we'll figure it out. And she always does figure it out. And so we're kind of the perfect balance of, she was the perfect balance of, as I was moving through Makeway and the idea of like, okay, I know I can do all this, but there is things that I'm not as good at that I want Makeway to be. And Abby was like the literal model for, for all of those things. So it just kind of made sense. And we've worked together before. We know what it's like to work with each other. And I think that's kind of crucial to working with friends is we love all of our friends. We love everybody in our life, but there are some friends you can work with and some you can, and that's just the facts of it. And we've done it before and we know we can do it. And we just work really, really well together. So it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Interesting that you discovered that you needed and wanted a co-founder, but who that was going to be was a very purposeful process. And I think for some people, it always isn't, and it can go south pretty fast because they haven't maybe had those experiences and, or they don't recognize what each other's talents are and whether they're complementary or not. And so it's interesting that in 2020, you, when you created Makeway, you really felt that women were seen as an afterthought in the world of sneakers and streetwear as compared to men. And I don't think like Abby kind of mentioned, I ever thought of that that way until I too was understanding your brand and your concept. Because yeah, I do think that for so many women, they don't have that market representation when they're looking for sneakers and streetwear. And so what made you guys think that you could separate yourself and figure it out in a tough year of 2020 that it was in order to curate and have a boutique for women? I think Abby and I have both approached our careers very similarly, which is why not us? In a lot of the spaces that we have both been in in our careers, we are often the only women, specifically for Abby being one of the very few women of color in her role. You know, we've had to deal with a lot. We've had to navigate through a lot of interesting and different scenarios and be in a lot of spaces that maybe with people who don't look like us or don't reflect the things that we see in ourselves. And so we've sort of built this attitude of like, well, why not us? And it's kind of threaded through everything that we have done. So when we have the idea, we're like, well, why not us? Like, why can't it be us to be the first ones who do it? And I think that maybe nonchalant thinking is like slightly naive, but also our greatest asset because we just sort of believe that we're built for this. And I think we've, we've both showed time and time again through our careers that we are built for this. You know, we're pushing in on a lot of different things and we're trying to continue to push the envelope and it's just, why not us? Like it's, there's no reason why it can't be us. Somebody has to do it. And there's no reason why it can't be us. Yeah. I love that answer. Very rhetorical question. However, the answer is very present sometimes. Easier said than done always, but yeah, agreed. And so as you mentioned, your, your brand is called Makeway. So what's the meaning behind the name? Well, this is a fun one. So <laughs> because everything we do is always rooted in basketball, Shelby and I were struggling to find a name for this place because it wasn't a retail space. It was a community space that happened to sell sneakers. And that's what we always identified it as. It's always going to be a community hub. It wanted to be welcoming. It wanted to make a stance in the industry. But we, as you know, have been inspired by basketball forever and nothing felt right. We were putting out names 
and and admittedly i was saying names that like ex- we were like saying things that he already existed we're like you know somebody said rise and i was like oh wait that's my charity name like we can't use that so as we were going through the process one night we were both watching the nba playoffs as we typically do and there was a wnba commercial that came on and the tagline was make way it's our time or something to that effect and Immediately, I picked up my phone to text Shelby, make way, question mark. And she had picked up her phone to call me and say the same thing. We had not, we had not known we were both watching the game. We should have known because we, that's what we do. But we had the moment, like the same spark. It was really special. It's nice to, because now almost more than two years later, we've actually entered into a collaboration with the WNBA for a merch line, which I'm actually wearing. We now have a full WNBA licensed collection with our logo and with the Makeway name, which is really special because it's truly what sparked the business. Oh, fantastic. In a lot of ways, when you, it's such a simple name, but it means so much when you say it slowly, when you say it differently, when you say like it has a lot of meaning behind it. So you guys started a business. It's always hard to start a business, but you started a business during a global pandemic. So why did you feel that it was the right time to launch your brand when you did? I think this is probably more to my fault than Abby's. I am a fast mover and I have like a window. So when I opened Mac House, I thought of the idea and it was like, I couldn't get the idea out of my head. So I had to just do it to get it out. Once we had the idea of Makeway and we were kind of moving through the idea stage and building it and building what we wanted to be. And once we finally got the name, I honestly just got tired of waiting. Mm. I don't like waiting. I don't <laughs> like taking my time on things. And, you know, we, we held off a little bit. We did push our plans back because of the pandemic. And it got to a place where we're sort of looking at the world thinking like, we actually don't know what's going to happen. True. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. Like we're almost two years or a year into this pandemic and showing no signs of slowing down, why don't we just do this now? And I think, was it the smartest business decision at the time? Maybe not. Did it work out okay? Yeah. So I think it's okay. But, you know, Abby can maybe weigh in on some of the things that we've learned by opening in a pandemic and some of the the operational logistical things, advantages we gained by, you know, having to constantly code switch and adapt to regulations back and forth. But ultimately, business, as you know, is not linear. It's you have to constantly be adapting to anything and everything, whether it's like socio and economic changes, financial changes, market trends, global pandemics, like business is never going to be linear and it's never going to be without, without adversity and without challenges. So trying to wait for this like perfect moment to open just didn't, wasn't really applicable anymore. We were waiting and waiting. We were ready. And so we said, let's just do it and figure it out. And I think ultimately it worked out for us. But I think when you open in a global pandemic, like not much can get worse. So it's a good point. It's a good point. It can only get better from there. And I like what you said about there's never a good time for anything. You know, whether you're going to start a business or whether you're going to have a baby. And trust me, I went through that the same time the first time I had my daughter. Not now, a little bit later. And it was my dad, I think, who said to me, there will never be a perfect time. And I think that's true with a lot of things in life. And a lot of things in life, we often think that just when this happens or when that happens or when this aligns, I'll do it then, I'll do it then, I'll do it then, when the time is right. And like you say, there is no perfect timing. And wow, 
when everything is at rock bottom, you know, there's only one way and it's up. <laughs> so I, I love that optimism for sure. I think there's also, this is like a testament to how strong the female sneaker community is because they came in hordes and they were so supportive and they were like, it didn't matter that it was in the middle of the global pandemic and people should have been spending money. They were out there. They were supporting us. They were and spending the dollars because they've never had an opportunity to shop at a women-owned female, a women-specific sneaker boutique. So it was kind of like this, even though not the best time, it really showed how strong the consumer was and the audience was that we were speaking to. So what are or were the challenges for women buying sneakers that really made you focus on that part of the industry? I think as we created Makeway, more and more, you know, challenges about being a woman in the sneaker industry were coming up. Like we were finding out women were getting bullied in sneaker lines and the resale market was arguably it was on the scale of really being discriminatory against women from a pricing standpoint, because there are a lot like from a business standpoint, there are less female women sneakers available in the market, but there's just as many women who want them. So the resellers were really taking advantage of that and charging, you know, women almost a thousand dollars for a shoe for that for a man would be four hundred dollars because there's more and it's a pure supply and demand. So like on the sneaker front of things, when it comes to the business side, women were constantly getting kind of the short end of the stick. When it looks at when you look at buying, when you go to a larger big box retailer, oftentimes it's men purchasing this the product for women and they have no idea what a woman wants. Whereas we get to actually make those decisions and we are grateful enough to have a staff of women who are different body shapes, different heights, different ethnicities, all sorts of things. So we were actually able to almost like from a sample size perspective, really have a good representation of different women in in the space. So when we're purchasing our our product, we're making sure that the women in our team feel like we're like, yes, this makes sense. Because we know as women purchasing a shirt is very different than if a man purchases a shirt because it's the fit, it's the weight, it's you know, the fabric, et cetera, et cetera, that means so much to us. So we really wanted to encapsulate kind of like what it meant to be a female consumer in this space and really give them product where they can see themselves in. And then also to creating a pathway for local women of color, entrepreneurs itself in our space. So we actually have a bunch of product that is made and owned by women of color. And that's one of the things we're most proud of. Like the WNBA collaboration is great. But what we get to do is actually put on women in our community who have body butters, who have hand tufted rugs, who have vintage stores. And they're all women who now get to have a place for their product where before they might have just lived online, but we're giving them a platform. And we're so excited to share their work with the world because they're super talented. They just didn't ever have a moment or a chance to be in a, in a retail space. That's really interesting. It's rare. I think many of us think that the fashion industry isn't catering to women because usually men complain the other way that they're not catering to us with sizing or different body shapes or et cetera, et cetera. And so it's interesting that in the sneaker world that the biases exist. And you guys definitely saw that and obviously continue to exist that women aren't interested and or it's not a two inch heel. Therefore, there isn't a customer for it. And so you obviously experienced those challenges and heard from the sneaker and your community. 
and that those were challenges. And so how do you speak to those companies as other retailers and or start a conversation then to say that this is the case? Because I think that there was a lot of talk a couple of years ago that, for example, women were charged more for razors for the exact same razor, right, than men. And so this is a lot kind of on the same vein is the fact that until somebody started talking about it, nobody knew that. I never actually even knew that myself until I think many women started saying, okay, I'm going to buy the men's razors. And then, well, there was some equality in pricing. And so how does such a big topic and a big challenge then spark bigger conversations, do you feel? The good news was when we came along, the brands were that we are lucky enough to work with were already open to those conversations and like moving towards that path. So you saw like Nike and Jordan, as an example, were really pushing all in on women's and they were doing it structurally through how they were hiring and where they were putting resources. They were doing it from a marketing and brand standpoint of, of what people were seeing in the marketplace. Really, the missing piece of that was sort of the retail aspect. So when we came along... I think we came along at this sort of perfect time. And some of that was by design and some of that was, was luck. And I think we all know in business, you got to have a little bit of luck. Like, you know, you can prepare, you work hard, you do all these things, but you know, there is an element of luck that comes along with really anything. So when we got there and we got in those rooms, they were like anxious and excited to talk to us. Cause they're like, we've been looking for these type of insights. We've been looking for this information it just wasn't in the marketplace for us to access. So they were doing focus groups and they were talking to people at their company, but they didn't really have like the boots on the ground from a boutique and retail standpoint to be able to tap for those insights. And so I think we came at such a good time that they really were excited to have us and they valued our perspective that we brought and the perspective our community brought. Because I think ultimately the way that Abby and I view Makeway, and, I, and this is by design is that like make way is the sum of its parts. Like it's not me and Abby's perspective on sneakers and streetwear and, and for women, it's sort of a sum of our community's perspective that we try to deliver to in the rooms that we're in, that we try, try to provide a physical space for like, this isn't about us. We just are lucky enough to, to have the resources and, and the, the space to do it. But we ultimately believe that it has to be a representation and a sum of like that community and what the community wants. And it's up to us to bring that forward as opposed to deciding what the community wants and what women want in the space. So those conversations, like they were excited to have those conversations with us. They were initiating those conversations where we might be nervous, like, oh, we want to tell them that this apparel is right. not flattering on women. Right. But before we even had to figure out how to say that, they would ask us, be like, what did you think of that? And we're like, oh, actually, like it only fit like 10% of our consumer base hmm. or it only looked good on 10% of our consumer base or these leggings. I get where you were going with this, but this particular way that you stitch makes it only flattering on certain types of women's bodies as opposed to you know, being more inclusive for a larger scope of women. So there's things like that, that we're sort of able to bring to the table. And I think, you know, the brands have been willing and then in the spaces too, where you just have to do some of it ourselves, which is exactly what Abby's talking about. It's like, we can have any candle brand, but we choose to have a black female owned candle brand. We could have any rug company in the store, but we chose a, a Canadian indigenous rug tufter. And you know, those are purposeful decisions that we're making because 
we know what it's like to be those entrepreneurs. So we, we see every decision and everything that we do as an opportunity to be thoughtful and purposeful of where we're putting our money, where we're putting our resources and what brands we're elevating. We take that super seriously. Like from every photo shoot that we do for brands, we are very purposeful of who we hire and how we hire because we want it to everything we do publicly and privately to be a reflection of the the community pillars that we stand on. And that's important, right? And that takes being those people to ultimately realize that that's important. Yeah, agreed. Educating consumers and giving opportunities, but then also having sometimes those tough conversations, but being a trusted voice for those bigger companies to be able to come to you to say, okay, what do you think of this? But sometimes them needing the data and sometimes you know, I think that it, it's interesting that a lot of large companies sometimes are scared sometimes to do things. Um, not that it's a good excuse, but because of things like cancel culture or making the, you know, saying something wrong or doing something wrong and taking those risks that they might not have before. Sometimes it's with their brand, their reputation, their money, their resources, even though everybody thinks that all those companies have finite thing of all of those, but that's not always the case. And so, I like that you are that bridge. And in the meantime, saw an opportunity for yourself that you could provide space and create a business yourself. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that without these conversations and or peeling back the onion for consumers, you wouldn't necessarily know. And even if you did, you think that, oh, maybe that was just a one time. And that was just my experience. It gives validity also to women to feel that maybe... Everybody is being overcharged, or this is not just me that it's not fitting, that there is a larger issue at play. So, you two have pretty important day jobs, you know, with the Rafters and with Canada Basketball. So, what is it like for the two of you as co founders and entrepreneurs while not only starting, but growing and scaling this business and finding opportunities for new collaborations, as you mentioned, while balancing that part of your life with the Makeway brand and your day jobs? Well, I think one of the things that we learned was we built a really good team and a team made up of different skill sets. Because if we had two Abbeys in the room or two Shelbys in the room, we would never get anything done. <laughs> um so I think first and foremost, one of the big things that we we really invested in is creating a team that was really well-rounded so that they can take some of the operational and executional issues from us so we can kind of focus on our day jobs. I think one of the things that we are really grateful for is that our day jobs and our careers actually feed really nicely into what we do at Makeway because we're so rooted in basketball and to sport and to and, you know, women empowerment. Those two things work such so well together that I think we can, we were able to bring things that we're learning from our industry roles into the retail world. Lastly, another thing that really helped us was also just being built in a pandemic. Having a pandemic baby business was so incredible for how we're able to communicate because we had to do it over Zoom. At the time when we were building the business, Shelby was actually living in Tampa with the Raptors because she was in the bubble and I was in Toronto. So everything we did building the business was over Zoom. It really showed how resourceful we can be as business owners and business founders, because now we're able to... Like I'm sitting at work. Shelby was at work about 5 minutes ago. So it allows us to really be more resourceful with our time and the tools that we have so that we can be more efficient business owners. 
Yeah. And I think it's an interesting point is that it gives you a different perspective and a wider perspective of not only your industry, but your potential customers and your current customers. But one thing it also does is also gives you an outlet not to micromanage. And I think that is often hard for entrepreneurs not to want to do absolutely everything in their business. Because like you said, it's your baby. But definitely there's always this push and pull with everything that everybody does. And and especially when you're still trying to figure out uh, who and what you are. I like that you see it as an advantage, not a disadvantage. And so Abby, it was mentioned, and you mentioned it a couple of times, now that you co-founded Rise Tribe. So let's talk about a bit about that. It's a charitable organization that looks to empower and promote a positive image for Filipino Canadians through mentorship, education, and celebration of culture. So when did you found Rise and uh, why? Rise Tribe was founded seven years ago. And it was, again, because everything I do is somehow tied to sport. (laughs) I looked around the industry at the time because I was working for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And oftentimes I would have young Filipinos reach out to me on LinkedIn or connect with me over, you know, a friend of a friend and say, how did you get to work in the sports industry? You're such an anomaly in this space. And then I was like, am I? And then I looked around on the marketing floor, which is where I worked. And there was probably like six or seven Filipinos that actually worked in the creative department at MLSE. And I was like, well, there's clearly a misunderstanding of how to get here because we're having this next generation reach out to us and say, I've never seen anybody work in sport. And I was like, oh, it's a representation thing. So then we started working on building Rise Tribe as just a way to get the next generation of Filipino-Canadian professionals into the sports industry who are interested. And then that actually became us finding out about another group who was doing it from a creative landscape and then another group who's doing it from a more traditional roles. So like accounting, government relations, things like that. So we kind of all came together as one larger group to really start understanding where the barriers were for young Filipino Canadians to get to the place where they wanted to work in sport, of photography, video, film, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of it was cultural because as children of immigrants, our parents are very risk avert. So they don't want you to go into these, some of these roles that might feel non-traditional. Or that or my, they might just not understand them. And that too. I think a lot of it was education. A lot of it was misunderstanding of they didn't grow up with their family becoming photographers or working in sports. There's a lot of conversations essentially around what, why was it so difficult for me as a Filipino Canadian when I was younger to even see myself working where I am today and really breaking those things down and providing opportunities for the next generation to see people who look like them working in roles that they want and connecting them so that they can understand a little bit better on how to get there. Interesting. Because I, I truly believe that all types of organizations like this, that it's really about allowing a young person to see their hope and their dreams inside of them and that, and that they are possible. Because I think many people who have, quote, made it, we rise by lifting others. And hence, I really like your name <laughs> because it really is true. And I think that so many of us think in the BIPOC community that, oh, there's only space for me. There's only space for a certain number, whatever that number of Filipinos or Indians or whoever they might be. And so I think that that is such a myth that not only the people who are sitting at those tables sometimes need to bust, but also for the younger generation to help them maybe understand a little bit more about how they can not only get there, but what work it takes. And sometimes 
bust even the myths of what the job actually is. I'm yeah. sure you had to do a fair bit of that. I don't just get to sit around and hang out with, you know, basketball players all day. It is a job. And I think yeah, that, that is, is sometimes uh, some of the fun part too. And so Shelby, you've been head coach for the Toronto Lords, a junior basketball league in Toronto for kids between the ages of four to 18. And so um, why was player development very important to you, uh, the coaching side and bringing young kids into the sport? Yeah, I started coaching at Toronto Lords when I first moved to Toronto as a way to build my foundation here. Like I moved to Toronto very young, right out of university. I didn't have family here. I had like two friends here that I knew. I, I just didn't have anybody in how I found community where I grew up was through basketball. And so coaching is one of the first sort of things that I tried to find a way into as a way to kind of build my community here. So I started at Toronto Lords and then went on to a program called People's Basketball, which was actually like a registered charity. And that's kind of where I spent most of my time in the basketball community in the city. And when Abby started Rise Tribe, I was coaching at People's and probably less coaching and more kind of like helping fundraise for the program and kind of growing our players off the court. Everything that I did there kind of prepared me for like NBA player development. So I used to work on the business side of that time. And what I was doing with the kids was essentially like what we do for NBA player development, just at like a different stage of their life. So it's really about recognizing like the whole person versus the athlete on the court. And I think that's like a really crucial part of like how I view sport. There's a very small percentage of people that are going to go on to be NBA players or professional basketball players in general. It's super rare but the foundation that sport gives you and the opportunities that sport can open up and the perspective that sports give you on life and problem solving and winning and losing and succeeding and failing, I think for me has been crucial to like who I am as a person, how I move through my life, how I take successes and failures in my career. And I just view sport as sort of this gateway to like all these opportunities. And, you know, when, when I was coaching, we sort of treated basketball as like the hook to then try to help educate youth on all these other areas and, you know, help them travel and see the world and meet other people and see people in different types of jobs and open up their perspective and learn how to work as a team and learn how to be accountable, which I think is like a huge, a huge thing that sometimes we take for granted. And so that experience prepared me for like NBA player development because it's the same thing. It's just they're a few years later and a little bit further along in their career. And so true to this day, like Abby knows, like make way is like a constant stream of just like random kids walking in being like, Oh, is coach Shelby here. Like, you know, (laughs) I've had kids live with me. Like I've kind of been through it all in that perspective, but what it has done and ultimately what I got into it for was to kind of enrich my foundation in the city. And as much as I feel like, I've put a lot of time and effort into coaching and, and helping kids like truly some of the greatest joys of my life and successes of my life is like watching those kids go off and like do what they do. Like kids in college, starting their careers, starting their own businesses. I see them everywhere. And it's like, it's really cool to see how they've leveraged sport into other opportunities in their life. And to me, that's like ultimately what it's about. Like what Abby said, like, it's really about how do you enrich and help that next generation fulfill their purpose. And that's, that can be as a professional in sport, or that can be working as a professional in sport. It's like, just, it it doesn't really matter. It just matters that the next generation of kids that we are 
trying to help and lead are like living healthy, happy, fulfilled lives. Like genuinely, that's like all I care about. I've never cared if one of our athletes went on to be a professional basketball player or not. It's just, it's just irrelevant. Right. And I, I like that there's that give and receive in there because you understood and you can understand that whether you're an NBA player or doing it for fun, there is so much that it builds sport in basketball in this case, and that it builds for the whole person. And that there are so many dimensions, not just whether we can shoot a three-point shot, which I cannot, but it develops, it develops a lot of soft skills, right? Empathy, communication, teamwork, like a lot of things that are very important to life skills and whether or not they're an NBA player or whether they are and their career ends tomorrow based on, like you said, you're as a medical issue or, or life happens, that they still have a lot of other things going on for them. And I think that that is really interesting that most people wouldn't think that whether they're, you know, 10 year olds or NBA players with the Raptors, that so much of that player development and the root of it is the same. And I think that that is really interesting for a lot of people because they are seen as celebrities and larger than life. And, you know, they don't, they don't even, you know, go pee the same way we do kind of thing for young kids. But I think that that connection that you have with, with both sides is really amazing. And so I guess, you know, I would ask now, what would your advice be to entrepreneurs who are getting started in a world that they're passionate about, where they hope to make a difference and maybe start it as a side hustle and then try to figure out whether or not it's something that they can do full time and that have big aspirations to starting something new? I think the one thing I learned, and this is what I learned probably from being around Shelby too much is that you just have to start. Like there is never going to be a perfect time. And we talked about this previously is if we waited for the pandemic to end, if we waited till we got the perfect unit, none of this would have happened. And as you build your business, you're growing your business and you're growing your skill set, and you're readying yourself every day. So to say we're waiting to be 100% ready to open is kind of like the silly notion because you're never going to be 100% ready. You just have to you just have to do it. And that is not a plug for Nike. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, I think, I think Abby's right. Like my overall life perspective is just do it and figure it out. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is irreversible when you're talking about things that when you're talking about non-life-threatening things, right? Business decisions, where you move, where you live, the job and career that you decide to be in. Nothing is irreversible. Everything can be changed and everything can be adapted. And if you start to view things in that way, if you start to view your career and your life and your entrepreneurial dreams in that way, it becomes like less scary. You can open a business and close it and move it and change it and adapt it. And it's okay. And so part of that process is just to start it and figure it out. And we joke all the time. It's like, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We say that 10,000 times a day, but ultimately that's what it is. And that's what business yes. is, what career is. That's what life is. And if you approach everything in that sort of mindset of figure it out, you know, it makes it a lot easier to start something and just adapt as you go. Cause sometimes the, the hardest part is just starting it for opening the book, for sure. opening that first page. It's the biggest hump to get over. And once you're in it, it sort of just flows and you get sort of caught in the wave of it all. But starting it is honestly the hardest part. So just start. And that's maybe oversimplifying it. No, I, I, I really like that. And I do like the fact that you're saying that it's not permanent. I have nieces and nephews who are in grade 12 and first year university right now saying, 
oh my God, I have to choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And I keep trying to tell them, no, well, yes, you've got to choose something now, but that doesn't mean it has to stay the same in five, 10, 15, 20 years. And I think that that is a different mindset than maybe previous generations had, including myself. And so I think that is something that people, no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're you know, choosing your post-secondary or your career or whatever it might be, whether it be that you're opening a business, that it, you can iterate and you can take hard rights and lefts or go backwards. And there are no hard and fast rules about that. I, I definitely completely agree with that. I really appreciate your time. And I guess my next question would be, what's next for both of you and Makeway? Well, I think for Makeway, what we're really excited about. So we actually just got a, our online Nike and Jordan account. So we've been selling it in stores, but now we have a Nike and Jordan online. So we're actually really excited to start tapping into the national market because we've been, we've been pretty focused on Ontario. We do have consumers kind of everywhere. But like, we obviously we have global shipping and all sorts like that. But I think now that we can sell our Nike and Jordan online to our full Canadian woman, that we're really excited about that. So I think from us, that's kind of something that we're focusing on. Obviously, holiday is a big moment for every retailer, but specifically the WNBA collaboration that we that we just launched in, I guess, late September our audience and our consumers can look forward to more of that. And without giving too much information away, we obviously are going to do it bigger and better. We ultimately see Makeway as this amazing big thing. And we just want to see it grow and serve more community members and just serve more women across Canada. So for us, That's going to look in a bunch of different ways, but we just want to continue to grow our community, grow the way that we impact culture and and sneakers. And that's going to look a bunch of different ways. So we're excited for what's to come. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Abby and Shelby, today. Looking forward to my future sneaker shopping in a more curated way. Thanks once again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all-new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversation. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.